Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Work, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Vangusti, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today, we'll look at China's latest GDP growth, and we'll also take a look at the new Hong Kong Stock Exchange program designed to lure more Chinese tech startups. We'll start with GDP, which has been in the doldrums these last few years as China sacrificed the economy in exchange for controlling COVID-19. The latest GDP figures show the economy grew by 4.5% in the first quarter of this year, marking a sharp improvement over the 2.9% growth in the previous quarter. The main drivers were consumer spending and strong factory production. The strong consumer spending should come as no surprise, since the first quarter marked the first time things returned to normal after the end of zero COVID. Similar factors could underlie the expansion in production. So the big question becomes, is this just a blip, or do you think this represents a return to more normal growth for the rest of the year? Um, Well, Doug, it's it's actually hard to say. Uh, We're going to need to see uh, another quarter of the GDP figures to um, to get a better sense. Um, you alluded yourself to the fact that, uh, at least on the industrial side, um, it could have benefited from pent-up demand. Orders that came in last year could not be satisfied because of COVID restrictions and so on, uh, and kind of like a catch-up uh, scenario. So that's uh, that's one possibility. Uh, on the consumer side, it's a little bit the same thing. Uh, we've seen that in the West, at some point in time, so-called revenge spending, revenge buying, revenge traveling. There's a risk that it's only a temporary phenomenon. <laughs> Short-term um, revenge. Yeah, because people obviously have needs that were frustrated. Uh, and then you go to a bit of a euphoric phase as uh, finally all the restrictions are dropped. It, it contrasts also a little bit with what I keep hearing from friends and and um, and acquaintances in China about people not spending uh, as much as they used to spend across as many things as they used to spend uh, pre-COVID because um, of a number of worries, one being um, the economy and its impact on jobs, potential job losses, as well as the fear that there might be uh, some other virus coming up, uh, followed by a series of uh, similar measures to what we have seen with COVID even if not as drastic, but what impact that would have once again on the economy, on jobs, and so on. So it's a bit of a vicious circle that will, I think, take time to to break through. But Mm -hmm. no matter what, on the, you know, the 4.5 number is a positive number. It, uh, It beats market expectations. You could take the view that it's close enough to 5%, which is the uh, soft target for the year, to say that uh, everything is on track. This Mm. being said, you continue to see uh, a number of challenges, the real estate sector, local government debts, 
supply chain realignment, which seems to be happening a little bit faster than a lot of people expected. Uh, for instance, look at Apple and how fast they've been ramping up production in India, faster than everybody thought possible. Right. You know, I'm in a bit wait and see attitude looking for the coming months, especially on the consumer sector to see if it's um, really a sustainable rebound. Well, how about actually, I mean, since you deal with a lot of the companies that are sort of foundation of this, what's the sense you get talking with them? Are they seeing any sort of sustained rebound or, or are they just sort of like you're saying, just getting a lip in the first quarter and sort of uh, sagging a bit after that? Well, the general tone is a tone of caution, actually. Nobody seems to be extraordinarily enthusiastic about the fact that we definitely have turned a corner and everything is going to be, you know, expansion from here. Some sectors are doing okay and are more bullish, especially if you look at uh, uh, new energy, for instance. Because very clearly, uh, the whole world now is fixated on energy transition. Um, so we work with uh, with a few companies in the solar sector. And, and generally speaking, those companies are pretty bullish about, you know, the future, at least if you look at two, three years out. Hmm. Pure manufacturing, I think, is more cautious. Except once again, probably in some of the sectors that have the favor of the government talking about mm. chips and so on. And we've seen the rally in chip stocks, for instance, and additional investments in the chip sector. So it seems like uh, new industries maybe or government-favored industries are doing better, but uh, the broader economy might still be a little tentative. Yeah, there was an, an interesting article in the South China Morning Post a few days ago about uh, how buyers at the Canton Fair which, uh, you know, historically have come in droves to uh, China and to uh, uh, the Canton Fair in particular twice a year to buy finished products. How a lot of those buyers now, especially from emerging economies, are buying parts, components, and not finished mm. products. Or at least they're trying to buy away from finished products and, and buy the components or the parts and so on, and with a view, obviously, to uh, finishing the products in their respective countries. Right. If that becomes more of a norm, there's obviously going to be some implication there for certain types of manufacturing uh, in, uh, in China. We're obviously not talking about you know, manufacturing of big items and so on, but more in the, you know, middle size manufacturing companies and so on could actually uh, start having problems. Interesting. I guess we'll have to see if it plays out. Okay, let's, let's move on. Uh, next, we're going to look at the new Hong Kong program for what they're calling specialist tech companies. Uh, this program launched at the end of last month and it It'll allow tech startups with little or no revenue and no profits to list in Hong Kong if they can meet certain other requirements. Now, this extends a recent series of new policies from the Hong Kong Exchange aimed at attracting more high-growth companies from the mainland to make the city more competitive with New York. So this particular program looks, 
less aimed at attracting big names like Alibaba, which was quite profitable when it listed in New York, and more aimed at smaller, fast-growth, money-losing companies with interesting new business models. Do you think this new rule is going to lead more Chinese companies to seriously consider Hong Kong over New York? Um, well, the first thing I would say uh, is is that uh, this is somewhat overdue. Um, you could argue, you could argue yeah. as to how long uh, overdue it is, but it 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 is definitely overdue. Um, it's um, it's a mixed bag, I think. I mean, the the major difference is, or the major issue is, Hong Kong here just competing with the U.S today or is it also competing uh with china and mm. uh and some of the newer markets in china such as the uh, asia market the uh, star market, star market um, right. yeah in the asia market so um it's uh, there's a need uh, very very obviously um you know we've seen that in the west whether you're looking at the us or you're looking at at europe uh, lots of those startups are obviously money losers and lose money for quite extended periods of time. Meanwhile, they need funding. Uh, funding is uh, typically available, you know, in the early stages in, from the VC world and from the private equity world and so on. But, you know, if you look at the, at the number of potential companies and so, and so on, that is not necessarily sufficient. And for some companies, there's a need to uh, try and find capital um, in public markets away from the so-called private market. So there's a need there. You know, it's also very important to remember one thing because it happened so long ago. But, you know, in the US, if you look at Amazon, for instance, Amazon lost money for... I think 10 years or 11 years, uh, something of that magnitude at least, and uh, needed, you know, successive waves of uh, funding before it became as successful as it became, just uh, in terms of business as well as in terms of capital markets. Tesla is another example. They didn't lose money for as long, but they lost money for many, many years. Mm. So it's, it's not really an issue of, you know, whether uh, they're going to allow companies losing money to come in and, and take money away from local investors who will potentially lose their investments. Um, there is, um, there's a need and, and there are opportunities. And there are obviously opportunities for investors to make a lot of money in the process, as well as potentially mm. losing money. So it's all going to depend on, on the company, on its business, on the business model. And 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 uh, overall business execution. Okay, we we did a story about this on Bamboo Works and pointed out that you know this change could sort of open the gates for a, a flood of low quality tech companies to list in in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. Already plenty of similar companies listed in New York. Of course, none of them are represented by you, but uh, <laughs> these companies <laughs> often languish for years before they either close or privatize. Um, is there anything Hong Kong or, or, you know, even New York can do to avoid this? Uh, and, or is this just a case of, you know, let the buyer beware? Or, you know, if you were advising 
a stock exchange or investors? Uh, how would you tell them on this matter? Well, I think the first fundamental uh, issue is obviously uh, the you know there has to be an extreme vetting of the companies of the candidates. There have been uh, too many cases in the past where companies were not vetted properly by regulators or by investment bankers, sometimes even by auditors, um, and uh, ended up not being true to the numbers, especially financial numbers, operating numbers, and so on, uh, that were submitted at the time of, of the listing. So regulators have an extremely important role to play, even much more so for you know those smaller companies that are going to come to the market compared to an Alibaba. When Alibaba decided to list in Hong Kong as well, I mean, you know, that was pretty much something that regulators could look at in their sleep. Um, this obviously is going to have to be different here. The same holds true for, for the bankers, the investment banks, the securities houses who are going to bring those companies to market. Smaller typically implies less well-known, including uh, management. And if the vetting is not thorough and, and of high quality, then there will obviously be accidents. Hmm. This being said, um, you know, one of the reasons I think why this is coming now and not five years ago or even earlier is because regulators in Hong Kong have been uh, very concerned about protecting the retail investor in Hong Kong. And uh, this brings another issue because typically retail investors in Hong Kong, if you look back decades, pretty much have been rent seekers. Uh, they invested in companies that paid dividends and they expected the dividend to grow year after year after year. Um, they have not invested heavily historically in uh, tech companies. If you accept uh, Tencent for one, which obviously was only listed in Hong Kong and kind of like next door and relatively well understood. But when it comes to other parts of the tech sector, there is not a long tradition in the retail investor sector in Hong Kong in terms of um, wanting to take the risk, in terms of really understanding technology or the uh, products of those companies and so on. So it remains to be seen how successful that will be. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we'll have to stay tuned. We'll, we'll probably see some of the first companies coming up soon. I think one has already actually uh, applied or is in the process of applying right now. There'll be big headlines when it makes. Right. Anyhow, uh, let's wrap up there. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. In our next program, we'll look at the loss of China's crown as the world's most populous country. And we'll also look at the plight of China's legions of delivery men and what one city is doing to try and improve their lot. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us and share us with your friends. Meantime, hope to see you all next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you all.